It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome to the program. Jason Jackson here with you. Kirk Morrison on assignment this week. So Brad Hopkins will join us in just a little bit. Uh, This week, we will focus in on uh, trouble in F1. Uh, Nelson Piquet has lost his mind, apparently. Uh, A racial slur uh, extended to the sport's brightest star. Lewis Hamilton will dive deeper in that story. Don't know if you've been noticing it. Uh, you probably are if you're, you have if you're a Giants fan, but uh, if you are not, you might uh, not be aware. And if you dig those with a platform using it, you're going to love what Gabe Kapler is doing out in San Francisco. More on the skippers, uh, the Giants skipper and his protests against gun violence coming up in a bit. But uh, as Pride Month comes to a close, we thought we'd talk about um, Carl Nassib and his desire to uplift the Trevor Project once again. He has announced, uh, the free agent pass rusher has, uh, another partnership uh, with this fantastic organization, uh, a nonprofit organization that focuses on suicide prevention and mental health awareness among LGBTQ youth. It provides a number of resources such as call and text lines for at-risk youth to speak to counselors uh, confidentially, as well as to access uh, inclusive online communities. And while he is heading into the 2022 season without a team right now, uh, the man who came out uh, just around this time last year, making NFL history and June of 2021 is the first active player in the league to come out as gay. Uh, During that announcement, he stated he was donating at that time $100,000 to the Trevor Project. Uh, Both the National Football League and his then team, the Las Vegas Raiders, followed suit, matching his contribution. And as a part of the second round of giving uh, to the organization, he's going to match Donations made up to 100000 this year, and that's trvr.org slash Carl Match if you want to be part of it. Um, he said, and I quote, I, I want to wish everyone a happy Pride Month. I also want to remind people why pride is important to me. Out there right now, there's a kid saying, I would rather be dead than be gay. And that's why I'm partnering again with the Trevor Project and matching all donations up to $100,000. I really hope you guys join me in supporting this awesome organization and supporting these young kids. I hope you guys have a great rest of your Pride Month and thank you very much, end quote. There's so many things to address in this giving. Number one, um, in our research, I was just realizing he was a free agent. Um, Obviously, my... My focus, for those that know, is uh, 
the National Basketball Association, the free agency is exploding um, before its regular time, which is kind of the double-edged sword of NBA free agency. As we tape this on Wednesday of this week, um, it's Thursday the 30th at 6 p.m. that NBA free agency will kick off, and that's just dominated everything in my brain since the end of playoffs. But the fact that this man uh, doesn't currently have a home for his craft and not letting that pause him in this discussion and this upliftment, one uh, tip of the cap there. The next layer, and you'll hear more about it in a moment, that I think is really important to address is the fact that uh, for those of us uh, that are allies, but but outside the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, we can consider our development as adolescents, teens, uh, challenging. And, and it doesn't, because you're heterosexual or otherwise, doesn't mean that your time trying to discover yourself and your sexuality isn't challenging. But doing that in a space that doesn't speak to you, that's not welcoming, that actually pushes you to the edges. Um, I don't I don't think even your empathy can take you to the edge of that type of loneliness, that isolation, that darkness, that anxiety um, that so many young people from the LGBTQIA community endure. Then you add on top of it the expectations, particularly in Nassib sport of football, be it at Pop Warner or high school, uh, college, professional, the machismo that has been, and, and at times, because of the brutality, brutality of it, has to even push to the forefront, um, is, needless to say, not welcome uh, to someone coming out as gay. Um, I, I think from a stewardship standpoint, uh, the Raiders, the National Football League, uh, so many other teams did a wonderful job elevating what had been so long a Neanderthal approach and mentality. Uh, but it, it's still, it, there, there's still going to be anxieties about being accepted, not being ostracized, not being physically attacked, as is the reality sometimes for that community. And so it, it, it is wonderful that this is still his focus. This is still the place, knowing full well that an organization like Trevor Project uh, and its suicide prevention and mental health awareness specifically focused at young people who are in need of that support. Uh, and that's not to isolate older folks. It's just as you are taking off on that voyage and you're reaching out, you don't, so many young folks are grasping at nothing, that there is no support, that there is no mentoring. And so it's fantastic that this is available, present, uh, and in, in place for these young folks. Over on NFL.com, uh, they have a very interesting piece on athletes who found courage and inspiration directly from Carl coming out uh, as an active uh, open gay player 
Uh, here's a little piece of that as we hear from uh, Ryan O'Callaghan telling his story. I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. He can openly be himself, and he doesn't have that weight on his shoulders of hiding his sexuality. You know, when, when I was closeted and playing, it was consuming to me. I thought it may be a phase. You know, a lot of my buddies were getting their first crush, and I thought maybe I was a late bloomer. But as the years went on and, and I hit puberty, you know, that's when a, a real attraction uh, develops. And at that point, I knew I was gay. And because of the things I heard growing up about gay people, I, I was convinced that I couldn't come out. The better I, I got at football, I kind of moved up the social cliques in high school. And by my junior year, I had a bunch of scholarship offers. So I was then with, with the popular kids. and. I was very insecure just being the big guy and being closeted, and I was kind of a bully. Not kind of a bully, I was a bully. I would just pick a path down a hall and knock people out of my way, and I always tried to control conversations, so I would say ridiculous things, and, you know, I have a lot of regrets about those things. I've made some apologies about how I acted back in the day, but, um, yeah. You know, as a kid, I, I couldn't process and understand whether they were kidding or not, or whether it was out of hate or ignorance. And so I, I took the things I heard to heart, and they stuck with me for a very long time. I was convinced that family wouldn't accept me. And I was also convinced that football was the only thing that could keep me closeted. I was taking an extreme amount of, of opioid painkillers. You know, my plan was to end my life when football was over. I knew football was coming to an end, and our trainer noticed I was acting funny, and he sent me to speak to a psychologist. After talking with Dr. Wilson for quite a while, I decided to come out to her. I'd never said the words, I'm gay, out loud before, and it took a lot for me to actually say that. But when I did, she stood up and gave me a hug and told me I wasn't the first player to tell her. I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm gonna do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm gonna start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. Even back when I was closeted, I, I remember calling their hotline once, you know, so I know firsthand what, what they can do. Very soon after I came out publicly, I received an email from, from a guy. I didn't know him. In his email, he told me that his daughter had come out to him. And he had basically disowned her. And he said that seeing my story made him reconsider his position and, and, and reach back out to his daughter. So, you know, just one thing like that, I feel like, makes it all worth it. It would go a long way if, if people truly understood and believed that being gay, bi, lesbian, what have you, is not a choice. No one's going to choose to make their life more difficult. The you know, Carl Nassib story changes that narrative by seeing somebody who is succeeding, being their true self, 
and it makes it seem like you can achieve all those things and greater. That's an interception by Nassim. When Carl decided to put out that video and come out as an out proud gay man, it got everyone in the football world talking about us, talking about our community, talking about the Trevor Project. And that dialogue and that representation moved us all a step forward in this country. And we're all forever grateful to you. You heard from Ryan O'Callaghan, a former offensive tackle who played for the Patriots, Chiefs, and Sam Rappaport. And she is the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the NFL. Uh, the name of the video is Carl uh, Nassib Human. And you can find it on NFL.com. The thing I love most about that piece, and uh, it, it's a cool thing, and this will encourage you to go watch it, is that you hear the voices of young athletes that just needed that extra push, that extra bit of love, that extra bit of encouragement to find their way uh, to not wanting to stay in, the, to come out of the shadows. Um, it's one thing to be open to friends and family. Imagine being open and you're going into this new space, right? Like, it, like all you have to do is search yourself and find the proper empathy to understand that, man, it's got to be something else alone, right? Uh, granted, listen, let's, let's, let's not take away the joy of, of having your dreams come true, having a full scholarship, playing your sport uh, at the highest level or at any level of intercollegiate athletics. But there's still a mystery involved, right? Particularly if you're not going with other teammates or other classmates from your area or specifically from your high school and uh, to, to be able to, to at least in all of that darkness, find a beacon to, to find a lantern that allows you to know full well that you're not alone. And you may not even, you know, have a direct connect uh, to a Carl Nassib, but you do have an ability to utilize uh, these extra resources now Upwards, almost. You know, think about this. This is now two hundred thousand dollars from him, um, another hundred from the NFL, another hundred from the Raiders, and then a hundred thousand dollars up to donations last year that Carl was matching, and then another hundred this year. I mean, we're almost at six hundred thousand dollars in resources for uh, the Trevor Project that he's impacting, and you hope that young folks um, who are living a dream, who have elevated themselves athletically um, who are directly connecting and, and more on not even needing that in a second, um, but directly connecting in that space um, is what's magnificent, right? That there's, that there's you're, you're, you're not alone. This darkness won't take you over. There is a place to turn, pick up the phone, send a text, however you want to communicate. For those who don't necessarily, and this is, I don't, I'm not minimizing. I just want to show the difference. Um, it's still super cool for those individuals that may be a little more anonymous that are going to go to school or work or to the military and um, don't have articles written about their movements day in, day out. Not having the spotlight. 
can be isolating and you feel even more ostracized and more alone. And so again, the, the great work of an organization like Trevor Project is so important. Um, a belonging cannot be understated or underutilized. Uh, it, it is sometimes the one thing that keeps people going is picking up the phone and seeing kind word or picking up the phone and actually, yes, young people actually talking on the phone. Um, it, it can't be something you fully understand unless you've spent some time uh, in the wilderness alone, metaphorically. And um, I don't wish that feeling upon anyone, but forced to have a little taste of it, I think goes a long way to developing an appreciation for what other people are going through. I mean, it's easy to just kind of keep your head down and go to Starbucks, Panera Bread, get your gas, go to work, uh, only focus on the things going on in your family and your world that oftentimes is overwhelming enough. However, what can be done? What's changed? What's elevated each time uh, you do something or contribute to something that impacts someone else? That's that's the real measure of who we are. So kudos once again to NFL free agent Carl Nassib. Once again, announcing uh, late last week, early this week, another partnership with the Trevor Project as a part of Pride Month. Going to match donations made to the organization up to $100,000 for the second straight year. Uh, make donations to support Carl's effort and the great work of Trevor Project, just keeping people connected, keeping people alive at trvr.org slash Carl Match. trvr.org slash Carl Match. When we come back, Lewis Hamilton has condemned three-time Formula One champion Nelson Piquet for using a racial slur about him in an interview. We will get into the depth of what's going on with this legend of F1. 69-year-old Brazilian is in the news as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. As the program continues, we welcome in Brad Hopkins sitting in for Kirk Morrison, who is on assignment this week. Brad, good to have you with us. We appreciate you stepping in. Jason, great to be on with you as well. And I'm, we're, we're going to miss Kirk, but we're going to have a great show regardless. You know it. You know it, man. Let's turn our attention to uh, more mind-blowing thoughtlessness. As uh, we, as I said, going to break, um, Lewis Hamilton has condemned three-time F1 world champion uh, Nelson Piquet for using a racial slur about him in an interview. Uh, apparently, Piquet used the derogatory term in a podcast in Portuguese following uh, last year's British Grand Prix uh, when title rivals uh, Hamilton and Mats uh, Verstappen collided on the first lap at Silverstone. Apparently, Max is uh, connected somehow to uh, BK, I think, uh, I believe, uh, relationship with his daughter. 
And so he 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 didn't like the way it all went down. Um, Piquet used the racial term about Hamilton while accusing him of mishandling his car into the front corner. Piquet called, uh, added Hamilton was lucky to continue the race. Um, earlier this week, as all this started rolling out, um, the seven-time world champion said, quote, it's more than language. These archaic mindsets, this is Lewis uh, Hamilton speaking, by the way, uh, these archaic mindsets need to change and have no place in our sport. I've been surrounded by these attitudes and targeted my whole life. There have been plenty, there's been plenty of time to learn. Time has come for action. So on Tuesday of this week, Brad F1 also condemned uh, the term used by Piquet in a statement reading, quote, disciplinary, uh, discriminatory or racist language is unacceptable in any form and has no part in society. Lewis is an incredible ambassador for our sport and deserves respect. His tireless efforts uh, to increase diversity and inclusion are a lesson to many and something we are committed to at F1. Um, listen, I, here's what I hear. First of all, I want to talk about uh, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, as we've talked about so many times on this program, th there is a fatigue uh, that's at play uh, for many folks of color, particularly Black folks, uh, in trying to have these moments, these teaching moments, these uplifting awareness moments. And what I'm hearing from Lewis Hamilton is he's tired of it. He's tired of it. And at this point, uh, he's, he's done with the olive branch. And now at this point, and I can imagine from his vantage point and, and being the pinnacle of his sport um, that now he's, he's just, he's just looking for it to be, to be washed out of his sport. And the challenge I imagine F1 is, is that Piquet doesn't race at 70 years old anymore. Um, so what now has to occur would be a severing of any promotional things that occur uh, that would impact uh, Piquet. I understand Okay, son's a part of the sport as well. Uh, he's not a part of this incident, but um, the mere statement from F1 might not be all that Lewis Hamilton is looking for as a, as a way of support and condemnation of this behavior. You know, Jason, I think that when situations like this come up, it's important to bring them to light um, because I think more examples of, of these type situations then allow us to have dialogue to show why it, it's archaic why it's antiquated, um, why that level of ignorance shouldn't be popularized. Yeah, amongst the mainstream, he should have thought at some point in time, that's language that would make me feel uncomfortable because I know that the majority wouldn't agree with what I'm saying. Right. But if he felt that he was in mixed company, if he felt that it was okay to use that kind of language, even tongue in cheek, um, that's where we have to start looking at where change can be present, right? I think the, his generation, the older generation, and we keep just sometimes just, you know, blessing our heart moment, you know, bless their hearts. They're just old, that kind of deal. Yeah. But that kind of thinking, it, it has to basically, like I've heard one comedian say, it just has to die. Yeah. Like there are not enough examples, Jason, on this planet that race is, is something that is, is used as a categoric situation more than anything else. Okay. It doesn't hinder you uh, from, from thinking. It doesn't hinder you from, 
from your 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 physical ability. I mean, we all at some essence at some instance have to realize that the differences in us are not biological. They are more economical than anything else. Mm. And when we feel that the majority around us, you know, feel like we do, that we can, you know, look at this uh, uh, this class of people as a subclass of people, then that will continue. But I think there are way too many examples, Jason, of accomplishments by people that are not Anglo-Saxon, mm. you know what I'm saying, that are not fair-skinned to say that, hey, you know what, that's a silly divide. You know, it's one that that ignorance lives in. You see what I'm saying? So for me, when people like that come up and, you know, expose themselves, I like to say thank you. Mm. Thank you for allowing me to see who I'm actually having a dialogue with, because then I will curtail our, curtail our discussion so now you can understand what I'm saying, because you obviously are not intelligent enough to have the kind of dialogue that we need to have for you to understand why your way of thinking is wrong. We're talking about the equivalent of the N-word uh, in English that was sure. spit out in Portuguese. And you can understand someone having a competitive frustration. How does that take you to a place where you're, you're, you're taking it that far, right? Okay, here, here Jason, I'll, I'll, put it in, I'll put it in our perspective, okay? You're driving on your commute to work. Mm. Somebody cuts you off. <laughs> you look at their ethnicity. Do you use that against them when you're sitting there yelling whatever you're yelling to them inside? I'm very general. Vehicle? I'm very general with what I say. <laughs> okay. Your, your ethnicity has nothing to do with what are, I'm going to drop. Are, the adjectives. Now. So the thing is, though, for you, Jason, that might not be apropos. But for those that are listening to this show, they may right. well understand exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, you well, see what I'm saying? If, if, in other words, that person in another vehicle is the crux of your frustration, right. you're going to use whatever you can to diminish them and make, you know, make yourself feel better. By, right. And they might not be able to hear you. Nine times out of ten, they can you know, we do see those situations spill out of the vehicle where the windows roll down. And all of a sudden, there's oh. an engagement and some stuff happens, right? But for the most part, nine times out of ten of us, we just grumble to ourselves. And we say stuff. You see what I'm saying? Are they general in their frustration or are they specific? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> see, I knew you couldn't drive. I just knew it. You see that kind of deal. You see what I'm saying? That And all that is is, here, there are levels of racism, okay? And you have to right. figure out where you are in them, okay? There's, there's stereotyping, which is the very lowest level of racism, okay? It doesn't even sound like racism. But thinking that you know about something about someone because of the way they look, that's called stereotyping because you actually have no idea what they're about. You don't know how they think. You don't know where they came from, their background, or anything until you engage this person to find these details out, unless you're omnipotent, okay? okay? <laughs> then there's prejudice. Then there's prejudice. Right. Prejudice is like, you know what? I just don't, you know. I don't understand that culture. I don't understand the way that, why they do things the way they do. So, you know, I just choose not to engage. That's prejudice. I don't necessarily not like you, but I just don't like the things that you do and stand for. That's prejudice. Racism. I just don't like you because of the way you are. I don't like you because of the pigment in your skin. I don't like you because of your hair texture. I don't like you because of your culture and the things that you stand for. That's racism. But there are levels to it. You see, and a lot of times we use those as defense mechanisms so that we don't have to take the time to get to know people. You know what I'm saying? I see some dude shabbily dressed, you know, whatever else. I know I don't necessarily want to associate him. Why? Because he's shabbily dressed. Well, what if that dude right there could have been a contractor, you know, doing some of his own work 
maintenance to his own you know um, project, but he owns the project. You see what I'm saying? But we sit there and filter this person through our lens because it gave us the time to be able to assess the danger zones before we actually get to know the people around us. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it's almost social behavior. I don't know where, and that's Brad Hopkins in for Kirk Morrison this week here on Forward Progress, Jason Jackson. Here, uh, it, it is, what's radiating to me from Hamilton is he wants a higher level of uh, accountability. The tough part is in this specific case, this is not an active driver anymore. So how, what can really be done? And so that's where I want to start it with kind of the extrapolating thought of this gets the appropriate finger wagging from everybody, right? This, be, this behavior, these words are not acceptable from Mercedes, his driving team, from him himself, from F1. But in the end, how does this 70-year-old man get impacted negatively for being an ignoramus. And that's, that's the thing got to okay. be frustrating so part from just a one-on-one, you know, this particular incident uh, being handled properly. Jason, we heard from a couple of different components in that article that you read. Mm-hmm. One, one we did not hear from was Nelson himself. Right. Either someone asking him, why did you feel it was okay to use that language? Right. You know what he's saying? Because right now, if you don't ask him the question, he doesn't think he did anything wrong. <laughs> you know, if we haven't, uh, you know, brought it to him to say, hey, this is a situation that's brewing about you and your response to whatever happened on the track and how some people feel that's inappropriate. What's your response to that? If we don't even ask him the question, how does he even know that his actions, you know, warranted this kind of discussion? You see? And then you can take his response to that and go whatever direction is necessary. You know, if he is apologetic you know i understand i was like you mentioned just heated the moment said something that was uncharacteristic of me i'm sorry you know lewis i apologize it won't happen again versus what <laughs> are we not are we not in the trust tree right are, are we not in the circle of, are we not you know you see what i'm saying right and in, in that situation you know does he feel shame for that moment or the people that are supporting him kind of feel the same way so therefore he feels he's in in same in similar company empowered and uh doesn't have to worry about his language or the way that he responded to that situation it's interesting that this all comes full circle almost a year later and f1 is now headed back to the same location silverstone uh that the driving incident occurred uh mm-hmm. and uh you wonder who's going to be around the track right you wonder who's who's going to be in place. Yeah, see, the thing is, I will say this, Jason. Um, I, I had the luxury of attending the Ally 400 this weekend here in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a, that's a NASCAR event. I'm not sure if it's a cup event. It might be part of the Xfinity Series. And as you can tell, I've, I, I kind of follow it. I like it. Listen, I love I'm impressed. You don't, you're, you're good with yeah. me right now. I, I, I love going fast. I love right. making, they, call making, they call it making left turns, but the way that they've actually put the audience in the vehicles, you know, mm-hmm. able to listen to the spotters and drivers, you know, you, sure. you're part of the drama, the action. And yeah. they do it in stages too now. So almost like quarters and periods, you know, it's kind of right. cool. But when I sat in the grandstand, I saw so much diversity. It drew my attention. Mm-hmm. There were black families. There were white families. There were black, white families. There were, you know, there were people that obviously had money and they came prepared. And there were people that obviously just came with everything they had. <laughs> and they were there to enjoy some NASCAR. They brought you the house to the stand. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And there are over 100,000 people right. in this location enjoying cars, doing 170, 
160, mile, 50, whatever miles an hour, right. you know, for 300 laps. So I will say that there, there, there is noticeable change because if it wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago, Jason, that they had to basically ban Confederate flags from being allowed in, um, you know, the events that NASCAR was putting on because right. they were trying to create that element of diversity, you know? So I applaud them for, for taking that and tackling that out, you know, taking that on basically head on. You know, I remember Bub- Bubba Wallace, Michael Jordan's driver, having yeah. to deal with a noose in his hang in the um, in the garage. His garage area, you know right? What I'm yeah. So, yeah, there there are there are going to be those elements, but as long as we show them to be cowardice, and as long as we show them to not be conventional wisdom, and that those are outlying situations that eventually will be stamped out, then then we'll continue to progress. I was sharing with people recently, I was never naive over these 50 years that I've been alive, that racism had been washed away. Uh, We were, many of us in the African-American community and beyond, uplifted by the election of Barack Obama. But I I was never of the conversation that we're moving to a post-racial society. What I did believe is that people felt ostracized for their beliefs and had moved into for the most part, the shadows, the edges, that they had to find these dark areas where they could uh, propagate their beliefs and feel connected and encouraged. And what we're doing, because there was a welcome mat put out for the the last little while here, uh, was that we're, we're, we're right back to the beginning. And you can read it in the frustrating uh, feelings of Lewis Hamilton in this case of what do I have to do? Here's this man, as accomplished as he is, as uh, outspoken and, and uplifting as he is as a beacon in his sport and in athletics and beyond. Uh, at what point does this end? And the truth is, it doesn't. This is a, a, a learned behavior that is passed on. This is not, racism is not natural. Right. Not, that stuff is fed to you. You then bring it in or spit it out based upon your own wiring. Uh, but, but for the most part, it's a part of our conditioning. And yeah. that you know what it is? is going nowhere. Yeah, actually, Jason, it is. It's um, it's the foam in the mug. Hmm. It's just constantly getting pushed to the top as the glass hmm. gets filled. And you know, like when you fill when you're washing the glass out, you put yeah. the suds in there or whatever else, and you keep filling that glass up with water until all of a sudden the suds and the bubbles are gone. You see what I'm saying? That's yeah. what's going to happen. It's inevitable. Because I know this, like you just said, the reason why racism exists is because of our lack of association with those that we, you know, that we have issue with. Right. Okay. We don't understand. We don't, we don't talk to them. We don't right. know them. We don't whatever. It's because we don't want to. Right. But the inevitability of situations like team, work, uh, the military, um, uh, law enforcement that force that engagement. Mm-hmm. Now I got to be in a car next to you. At some point in time, we're going to break bread together. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now I got to be in a foxhole with you. Now I got to block for you. Now we have to work on this project together. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Those associations that allow us to see, you know, our differences are not that big. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You love your family just like I love my family. Right. You know, you, you want to be, you want the best for your quality of life as I want the best for my quality of life. We're not that different, are we? See, but it's that engagement that has that allows the dissolution of all these silly walls that we continue to put up. You see yeah. what I'm saying? But even those experiences have to be so deep 
They have to be so moving that they deflect what my grandfather said, deflect what my mother said, deflect what my family. It, it takes a unique person to exactly. really let that seed plant and grow. Exactly. exactly. You're so right, Jason, yeah. because the right person delivers the right message that regardless of the ears, it resonates. Yeah. It's absorbed. They understand it. You see what I'm saying? And another thing is that, that person has to has to be somebody that globally you trust. You know what I'm saying? There's a respect for this person. Yeah. They're not out to take advantage of you. You see what I'm saying? They're not to like we, we look at some of the most influential people waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know what I mean? Oh, this guy's there's such great things. Yeah, but what's he like? You know, because we know that there are three people in every person. There's your public person. Right. There's your private person, then there's you. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Your secret right. person. Mm-hmm. The person that only you know about when you get up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even the private setting, the people that love you the most, they know so much about you, but not everything. And the public you, eh, that guy changes like the wind. Another topic we could go on and on about. Need to take a break, though. When we come back, and we'll keep an eye and see uh, if anything emerges, by the way, uh, as we come back next week after this stop at Silverstone and F1. But uh, we'll change gears and turn our attention to uh, Gabe Kapler. The giant skipper uh, has an ongoing protest that maybe you haven't heard about. You will as forward progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Brad, let's turn our attention out to the Bay Area. Uh, and I don't know if everyone picked up on this. I thought I heard about it back around Memorial Day, uh, but it's not something I tracked. And, and it's the protest that uh, the Giants manager, Gabe Kapler, has uh, basically been locked in uh, since the school shooting back in late May. And he admitted that his mind said, drop to your knee during the national anthem. And and his body, he admitted, just wouldn't listen. But since then, Kapler has skipped the national anthem pregame, except for Memorial Day. And, you know, he didn't want any cross messages about what he was supporting and what hasn't, as he's learned those messages uh, get uh, the narrative of them get turned in whatever way the opposition wants to push against you. Uh, but he does this in protest of gun control. Um, it, it's, I mean, we had 19 children and two teachers die in that shooting in Texas that day. And we've recently had, I want to say new legislation, but the, the teeth of it, um, I don't know this day. And I don't want to diminish efforts because we call for effort, legislation, the execution of it, that's been done. But I, it's not going to take the, the steps necessary to eradicate the possibility of another one of these mass shootings to occur. But it's something. It's something. It's, a, it's, it's action and moving in the right direction. So I want to applaud that. Um, but what Gabe Kapler is doing, my mind immediately went right to Kaepernick. And Kaepernick actually obviously 
at the, the height of his protest, he's right on the field on a Sunday, kneeling for the world to see uh, versus, and, and, and Gabe Kaplan's not alone. I know a lot of players, particularly in the sport I cover, the NBA, that do that same thing. Instead of it being a public orchestration, they just excuse themselves from the floor during the anthem and then find their way back. And, and it's it's not a common and known thing. So at least um, give Kepler uh, a tip of the cap in that there is at least a conversation about it. And last week, last Friday, so we're in week five now. Last week marked five, uh, four weeks that he began his protest of gun violence by not standing on the field during the anthem. Um. And here's the challenge, and I imagine I, I only wonder how Kapler deals with it um, in his four weeks of this experience and protest. Brad, there's been more shootings. There's been more carnage, and uh, one man's protest is not going to end everything. But it, I, I hope he's not deterred, and we can continue to have the discussion. and And quite honestly, if we're being real about it. This is going to have to be a state-by-state state methodical process of deciding, are you going to protect your citizens or not? And that may be a part of the ballot conversation that's coming uh, this fall on top of women's reproductive rights. So uh, it, it may still have a national discussion, but I, the true impact from a political standpoint um, is, is, I think, going to be regional on this one. Man, what is it about these dudes named Cap from the Bay Area? Right? <laughs> Wonderful point. Yeah, well, let's just say this. When, when the agenda at hand becomes more relevant than the action, then you'll start to see progress. If we continue to um, not take advantage of revisionist history, and see and that the that the conversation needs to be advanced, um, then we'll just be you know victims of the same mistakes. Okay. When Connor Kaepernick first took his knee, under the advice of someone in the military, we didn't talk about it. Right. We talked we talked about the moment of of almost celebrating um, our our nation's military at a public event that they used to pay for. Remember the military used to pay the NFL to do their, to have their um, presence felt at their events. Okay. Then it was frowned upon and they stopped doing it. But the point is it was almost a business transaction by then. Yeah, almost like a recruiting yeah. element, right. Yeah. For the media, for the media. Right. Then it became this whole thing and you became unpatriotic. How many people did you see back when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee, still ordering beers, eating French fries, Having conversations. Talking and walking on the answering me, right? Yeah, yeah. But all of a sudden, someone who is at least being still is doing something to bring about a discussion about the inequities, about the atrocities, about the craziness that you know still exists in today's America. Right. We didn't do that, you know, because it was easier and um, more palatable for us to rather than have the discussion about these racial issues to just point fingers at Colin Kaepernick for being unpatriotic, whatever that means. You know what I'm saying? So I love how all of a sudden patriotism has been hijacked. You know what I'm saying? By those that wear flags saying that they're more patriotic, but you know, their, their actions and rhetoric 
are so divisive that how could they be a representative of America? Because you know what? Regardless of what they think, America's full of different ethnicities. And it's going to be full of different ethnicities. Nobody going anywhere. And for them to think, those people in those positions, that the opposition loves their country any less, even during oppression, is silly. Because you know what? We were born here. This is the only thing we know. I ain't going anywhere. I'm not taking my kids anywhere. You know what I'm saying? And my kids aren't taking their kids anywhere. So guess what? There's no option here. You know what I'm saying? There's not going to be a, you know, a wide-scale exodus from anybody from this country. You know what I mean? Because who has a right to it more than anybody else? You know? Right. You, you know, the people that say that they were, you know, lifers for this whole deal and their generations, you know, have been rooted here. You weren't the first people on this soil, bro. <laughs> you know? So how can this be yours? You know? So anyway, not, not, yeah, but the thing is, we advanced the discussion. I know we're talking about um, Kepler. Uh, Kepler and his actions mm-hmm. and how he would hope that it would bring about some sort of, you know, build, discussion, dialogue um, to then bring about the change that he would feel necessary. And that's in the, even in that article that you're reading was something that someone acknowledged. Athletes themselves, we don't have the bandwidth to change the, the problems socially. Okay. Mm-hmm. We just don't. But what we do have the ability to do are um, echo those that do. You see what I'm saying? By bringing attention to those people that are in the fight, those people that are doing the work, those people that have the, 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 um, the, you know, the, the correct communication about the situation that can then bring about an understanding, a comprehension. And that's all we're lacking here. It's ignorance. Kapler has received a variety of reaction uh, since he started this protest. Uh, Some have called him heroic, a San Francisco area father whose wife has recurring nightmares about a school shooting with their child starting elementary school. Thank the manager. Crass and just classless. Responses. So, are we talking a hatred, support, pride all over the map? But the reality remains: since the tragedy, the massacre at Uvalde, there have been at least sixty-seven mass shootings, nearly four thousand recorded gun violence deaths since that horrible day at Robb Elementary School in Texas, and. That's a simple reality that we all have to embrace. And either you're like, Kapler, you do, you do what you can to stand against it, uh, but demanding better from our elected officials uh, is truly uh, the only change. Brad, thank you so much. We appreciate you stepping in as always for, be it me or for Kirk on the program. We're great to have you in the rotation. Great to join you today, Jason. Thank you. You appreciate it. So for Brad, I'm Jax. For our producer, Pernell Brown, we thank you so much for swinging by. Forward Progress, we'll talk to you next time.